Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning back into the next episode of Drugs and Stuff. Awesome to have you here. Uh, today, Dave and I are going to have some fun talking about old school bodybuilding trends. That's trend with a D, not the drug trend, but we probably will talk about that too. After that, we're going to tackle your listener questions, as always, that you guys commented on the last episode. If you guys want to take part of the next episode, then comment below with your questions. We will tackle it then. Plus, comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. You guys have been doing an awesome job. I really appreciate all the feedback and comments you've been giving us. This week, we'll talk a little bit about fertility on gear. We talk about how long can you still use a drug after it's been expired, picking sites for your injections. Anivar causing cramping in this dude's jaw. Minimum length of time for growth hormone, plus a bunch more. If you're new here, welcome. I encourage you to hit the subscribe button and hit the bell because we have several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week. Uh, top minds in our industry, IFBB pros and educators that are helping you to be better at this sport that we love. The more information you can have, good information from people who have a ton of experience, uh, the faster you can reach your goals and the safer you can be in the process. All right, guys, let's get to the program. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff. With Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code THINK to get some extra savings on some awesome supplements. Uh, go to SupplementSource.ca if you're in Canada and um, go to Eval. Yeah, Eval. Uh, EvalBloodAnalysis.com. If you're in the UK, you can get your lab work done with Dave. Dave, we got a bunch of stuff today. You said it wrong. EvalBloodAnalysis.com. Sorry. Thank you. I get confused how to pronounce things sometimes. So I've noticed. So last week, uh, we threw out a topic idea to the listenership, and uh, they came through. You had said... Um, That's not... Whoa, 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 whoa. You said they were absolutely shit, and I hardly <laughs> responded. Don't well, we, start boring up now because they're in front of you. <laughs> we got a few. You guys gave us a few. We actually have like uh, 27,000 questions from the last episode, but we're going to get through as many as we can. Um, we do have some comments, though. The topic we wanted to discuss was like, I don't even know how to word it, but it would be like old school things that we used to believe in bodybuilding, things that we lived by. And one of them that you mentioned was uh, heating up your vials. So back in the day, you'd take like a little, in the UK, you would take a teacup and during tea time, you'd pour some hot water in it and you drop your vial in there and you would lower the viscosity of your oil, making it more easy to inject. And I thought about it. I've still done this at times, but I think that back in the day, the oil used to be a lot thicker. And nowadays they're using a lot more MCT oils and EO solvents that are real thin, uh, that there's less of a need for it. Uh, but would you agree with that? No, I don't know. I just it was it was one of those things. I suppose it's a bit like aspiration, wasn't it? Everybody aspirated, and then as time's gone on, nobody fucking bothers anymore to a large extent. And and I think it it probably dropped out of favour just because it became more hassle than it was worth to heat it up and fuck about when you could just draw it out and shove it in. Yeah. Uh, but I do. Re I mean, I remember walking around the house with it tucked under my armpit or, or 
down the side of my bollocks trying to put some heat into it because I didn't have a cup or anything to warm it up in at the point. I hope you sterilized uh, the vial after that. Why? It's my gonad sweat. What does it matter? <laughs> okay. Guys, this is one of those things like don't do what we do. Do do as we say, not as Dave does. Here's a few. Here's a few. Uh, fanny packs, which I still believe in the fanny pack, and I think they're making a comeback. Uh, baggy, no. crazy pants. Did you ever have those like crazy pants? They're like loads, absolutely have- loads of them. And my mum used to actually make them for me. I had, I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ones. <laughs> you had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crazy pants. Yeah, my mom used to make them for me. That's crazy. And then That's I had nuts. some, I had some like sweat rag tops with a giant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on the back. She made that as well. Did you have like the traps cut out where they were like you could see like all the way like yeah. the big boat neck? A bit, not quite that extreme, but oh man, I remember those baggies. I had some really mad ones. I have a fanny. Here's my fanny pack now. Look at this. I got a fanny pack still. Well, this is this is my fanny pack. The the thing, if you wore the baggies, you had no choice but to have a fanny pack because the pockets on them were absolutely fucking useless. Yeah, <laughs> everything would just fall right out. Every, yeah, so you had no choice. You had to have a fanny pack. Your D ball was call, like all over the gym if you didn't have a fanny pack. We call them um, bum bags. Yes. Did you ever, uh, real talk here, have you ever put an oral anabolic steroid in a fanny pack? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. That means you're a real bro. That's what that means. You you put everything in your bum bag stroke fanny pack. I mean, you had everything. It was like a woman's handbag. You opened it up and there was just everything you could need forever in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some lifting straps. I could, I, I was carrying my gun around in it for a while. It was a good place for, for a small pistol. Um, and they also mentioned Atomic shoes. I never had those. Did you have Atomics? Um, yes, yes, I did. Yes, yeah? I did. I never had any of that. To be honest, that was only, I'd say that was only, I mean, the fanny packs and, and the, the baggies are years ago, but, well, I, Otomix actually, not Atomix, but Otomix. Um, I, I was still wearing them five, six years ago. I saw um, Kai Green, um, I think, repopularized those, and I mm-hmm. still, they're popular again. They're definitely popular again. Um, the, the right, the riders are popular now, aren't they? Rider wear or whatever it's called. I don't even know. Australian, what those are. yeah, it's Australian ones. Okay, how about this one? Um, UC Suma, he says, uh, back in the day before pre-workout ex- existed, um, there was these little vials of liquid ginseng from GHC. You would chug those pre-workout. Tasted terrible, but the placebo effect was legit. I remember those. Did you ever use those? No, I don't think they were ever particularly over here, but I do remember sublinguals. Sublingual ginseng? <clears throat> no, there were sublingual pre-workout drops, and you'd Ooh. drop them under your tongue, and then you'd spend the next half hour. <laughs> Trying to get the absorbency from it? Well, yeah, because you didn't want to move your tongue because it was sat underneath it, tasting fucking horrible, and you wanted to make sure it got in through the blood vessel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought of a couple. Um, I thought of, you know, back in the day, we when I was early into gear use, everybody was front-loading. 
Everybody front loaded. Like it was the jam. You would figure out your ester length and then you would from there, you would front load it by basically doubling up on the first week of your injections. We've since talked about front loading and neither Dave or myself are a fan of it. But that that was one of the things that I had personally thought of. I never, the, I, I don't, front loading sort of, I don't know if the UK's run particularly behind the States when it comes to certain trends and in uses, but I mean, we still get people from loading and, but I would have said that was within the last 10 years. However, yeah. go back, back. And it used to all be about taper up and taper down. Oh yeah. You would pyramid your gear, right? Yeah, You would, you would always pyramid it. And it, it seems to have come back to a little degree as well. I mean, I like tapering cycles, um, up anyway. I don't think we do a taper down, but yeah, you would, you would only be on full dose for like three weeks and then you would start be going back down again straight away. No kidding. Um, liver tablets. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never got into those. Uh, but I take it you did. I take it you did. Desiccated liver tablets. Well, I had no money. So it was like supplements to me were always a stretch. You know, they were just too far away from me financially. Yeah. But liver tablets were cheap. So apart from tasting fucking awful and giving you the worst burps ever. Yeah. um, For me, it was like I just felt like I was doing something that was helping because I was taking a supplement. Sure. Um I mean, it was desiccated liver. It wasn't going to do a huge amount, but it, it was the only thing I could afford. So, yeah, it was such a big deal. These things were precious. But, I mean, they used to come in tubs of, like, 90 million tablets. So it was <laughs> cheap, cheap as dirt. You buy them by the bucket full. Yeah, and you'd take, like, 30 of them at <gasps> a time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I never got into that. I've known people, though, who are big into the liver tablets. So I'd be curious um, if anybody has any other ones, comment with those because these are it's kind of fun to think back about that stuff. I did do the um the the liquid aminos and we've talked about that before. It was like a nasty thick syrup and it tasted like I don't know, like roadkill kind of, I guess. And it, do you eat a lot of roadkill, Scott? I, I don't know. I never have, but I kind of it just the way I get the vibe at least. It was very roadkill. But mixed with orange, like a pungent, you know, sweet well, yet spoiled orange flavor. Before the orange flavored one, which was not very good at all, there was a non flavored one, which was even fucking worse. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty nasty. I've had that too. That was not good. Oh, uh, oh front loading creatine. I, There's another one. When creatine first came out, they're like, you yeah. gotta front load the creatine. You, basically, you use your whole first tub in like a week. And then you got to go back and buy another tub. So I think that was part of the ploy right there. Uh, cybergenics. Yeah, that one comes up every time we discuss old school stuff. Um, it, it was so big in its day. No fucker could afford it, but it was so big in its day. It was, it was the page on the magazine that you just dreamed about being it. Well, in fact, actually, yeah, magazines. Magazines in general. Yeah. Getting excited every month because I knew the new flex or muscle and fitness or muscular development was coming. Did you follow the workouts out of those magazines where they were like, hey, here's, uh, you know, uh, Dorian Yates workout or here's uh, Lee Haney's chest workout? No, but I tell you what I did do. I bought a book out of the back of one of them. Did you really? Yes. Um, 
I want to say Phil Darden or something like that, but I might have got that wrong. And it was a sort of high-intensity training thing, and I followed that religiously. I I just remembered something. Uh, I remember when I was like 19, um, I had been using you know pro hormones, and uh, my dad's friend Rick was like, "Yeah, well, the new thing, the new thing that everybody's using now is growth hormone." And I was like, "Huh, growth hormone." So I'm reading my Flex magazine, and in the back. It wasn't even an ad that was like had a picture to it. It was just like three lines of text. And it was like, you know, human growth hormone, da da da. You know, call this number, get a prescription. So I, I called it. I was like 19 years old and I called the number and it was in Mexico. And I talked to this lady and she was like, yeah, you know, we'll fly you, you know, you fly down and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, do some tests on you and then you get to, you get to get the growth hormone. And I was like, well, how much does it cost? And I can't remember what the price was, but I was blown. And then I went back and I told Rick, I was like, hey, man, I, I found out about growth hormone. And of course, I like I had zero money. It's not like I was going to get on GH at the time. But at the time, man, we thought that was going to be like the big thing, you know. And I guess it is kind of in a way. And, and it still is popular, right? Do you remember doing your first show? Kind of, kind of, sort of, yeah. I don't really remember the shot, but I remember thinking almost like, do you remember um, Universal Soldier? Uh, yeah, yeah. When they used to do the steroid injections and then they'd be running around like rampant, raging fucking animals. <laughs> well, that that was what was going through my head with my first shot. Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember putting this shot in and having this big, oh, gears in me now. Oh, I'm getting bigger, I'm getting stronger. You know, and it was proper, proper in my head that I had taken this amazing substance that was going to literally transform me overnight. <laughs> My my dad's friends, I didn't find this out till years later, but they were using um uh what do you call them? Like uh like like bull testy extract injectable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So glandulars, as you would call it. And I guess glandulars were something that had been around and used before, you know, testosterone had been synthesized and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go back to, like, the early, you know, late 1800s and yeah. stuff like that, and there's accounts of stews of testicles Yeah, that, that people were eating to increase their male prowess. Whew. Huh. I mean, we've associated maleness and sexual prowess with genitals for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. What's this one? Instead of pre-workout, you had a strong coffee before training back in the day. Imagine that, using coffee to get a boost. Imagine actually going to the gym and wanting to train sufficiently enough that you actually approached it with some vigor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here's a good one. Corey Wright, uh, remember the chalk-like protein. I, I think a lot of people won't understand this, but the original protein powders that we used, it was it, like the consistency of flour. And if you can imagine trying to mix flour into a cup of water, you would just basically get all these clumps at the top mixed with like this milky clear water. tone. It, it, it tasted terrible. There was not a such thing as a good protein shake. And nowadays I have clients who are like, I don't really like a lot of the flavors. <laughs> 
Do you remember Castle and Nighter? No. Oh, what's that? We we did Castle and Nighter. It was a casein protein, and when it was mixed, it was like lumpy wallpaper paste. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah, but you'd you'd get a lump, and the lump would explode in your mouth and be basically like a powder bomb in your mouth. Yeah, powder it? bomb. <laughs> I like that. You have to be old school to know what that powder bomb was like. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. If we've provided value to you today, then please consider contributing to our show. You can help support the show through Patreon. Every $5 helps to pay for the software and the hardware and everything else that goes into making a podcast. You can also contribute by using our code at True Nutrition. True Nutrition has been our title sponsor for several years now. I'm super grateful for them. And I've believed in True Nutrition supplements long before they sponsored our programming. You could use our code THINK for health supplements and performance supplements. Feel free to hit me up if you have any questions. And if you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. They have free shipping over $99, huge discounts on overstock, short dated, and label changed products. Plus, they have all your normal supplements too. Thank you guys for listening to the commercial. I hope you're having a great day and that your bodybuilding is going well. Let's get back to the show. All right, I'm going to dive into our listener questions because we had... A lot of them. Uh, I'm just going to start pulling from the top here. By the way, guys, if you want to take part in the next show, then comment below with your questions. Uh, we will do our best to tackle them. Uh, if you don't hear your question asked on this show, then comment it again on the next one because I, I definitely try to get through all of them. Uh, he says, hey, bros, I just hopped on the juice not long ago, and I wanted to go through the blast and cruise route. My main concern is my fertility in five to seven years, whether I'll be able to get it back or not, since I'm planning on to have multiple kids. I'm 22 years old, by the way. Thanks and would appreciate your views on the best way I could approach this. That's something a lot of young guys don't think about. They're like, yeah, I don't want kids now. I'll do this. It'll be fine. Adult. Dude, could he freeze his sperm? I've known guys to do that. Yeah, I mean, on a serious note, you could actually go to the length of, yes, uh, providing a sample now and freezing your sperm. Obviously, you're not going to conceive in a natural way of doing that, but at least you guarantee your bloodline will continue if that's something that's important to you. Um, in regards to fertility, there's always a risk. You know, there's there's no surefire way of, of, of stopping that fertility risk. Yeah. Um, probably the simplest way would be to run a, a low-dose HCG. Say 250 three times a week or 300 twice a week. So, obviously, when you're on cycle, FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, which is the signal hormone responsible for stimulation of the satori cells and spermogenes, Sorry, I said that wrong, actually, for the production of sperm. Just yeah, say it real fast, uh, though. People won't know. Yeah, no. It, I, I know I said it wrong when I said it. But uh, so um shuts down. That, that's, yeah, that's part of the shutdown process. And, and there's not really much we can do to offset that. You could look at HMG, which is effectively 50% synthetic LH and 50% synthetic SSH. But it's expensive, and it's not really financially a viable route to go. However, testosterone itself has an impact on the serotonin cells. It stimulates sperm production, which is why you see guys on cycle getting their missus pregnant. 
In fact, that's how all my kids were conceived when I thought I was firing blanks and it wasn't going to fucking happen. (laughs) I've tried getting rid of them ever since. Anyway, (laughs) um, so um, the other alternative is HCG. And one of the impacts that HCG has, though it can't cause a rise in testosterone production because of your uh, circulating levels being so high, it does increase what's known as ITT, which is intertesticular testosterone. As a result, this will stimulate the serotonin spells into sperm production. It will also lower potential Leydig cell damage from your cycle itself, giving you a better chance of regaining your fertility long-term. I like that. That's a good answer. Or freeze your sperm. Or adopt. Hey, Dave, I wanted to show you something. I, I had some merchandise made for the program. I had shaker cups made. That's brilliant, mate. I Thank love you. the design. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I put a lot into this. This so is has a- Victoria, allowed you, Victoria allowed you to have the big pencil case again. <laughs> it used to be looking. Don't, don't, oh, add, you know, shit. keep it, keep it under oh. your cap. But this was an animal shaker. And now it's a think thing shaker. Thing. Yeah, yeah. These will be available from your local retailer at a price of forty nine ninety nine. Exactly. Yeah. And they're uh, artisan. Artisan shaker cups. I made this right before the show, believe it or not. It took me you'd be surprised, it took me like one minute. I'm surprised it took that fucking long as well, bastard. <laughs> I had to find the tape. Um, <laughs> yeah. 50 seconds of that one minute was trying to find where I put the tape. <laughs> what do you think about this? Is, this goes back uh, last week. I was talking about having a vial of uh, um, liquid Deanabol, uh, injectable D ball that is 10 years old or so. Um, what do you think about sell by dates on gear and how long would you give it past? I know they have it, excuse me, on them. And like a bottle of water. So the sell by dates are effectively made up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they just stick a date on it. It's, uh, <coughs> um, it's but obviously over extended periods of time, um, the the product will degrade. Not a concern in a sense of causing problems seem to have an echo all of a sudden do you still no hang on echo echo yes just slightly Hmm. anyway um so the main main thing is that the product's going to degrade i.e become weaker however the risk factor is that how sterile the product was in the first place because the longer it is that serenity can break down yeah. Uh, and and there could be a bacterial load. Um, I think, you know, a few months off the date, I wouldn't be overly concerned. But when you start getting into 12 months and beyond, then I would I would probably be pinning it and getting some new. Yeah. And I, and I think it depends on what we're talking about here, too. Uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I, just to give people a little bit more insight uh, here in the U.S., 
I believe it's like two or three years is the expiration date on most medications. I'm not talking about, there are things like antibiotics that can turn into poison after they've expired, but let's take Tylenol for instance. I believe it's like three years here, but then from what I understand, it's maybe two years. And then in, in other places in the world, I believe Europe, it's like four years or five years on those exact same medications. And what they're basically just from a medication standpoint, like Dave is saying, it will break down over time. So what they're saying is, is that they guarantee, and this is legit medication, not UGLs. They're going to guarantee that you are going to get that 500 milligrams of Tylenol over the span of this, this date, you know, that they put on here. And then after that, it may start to be a little bit less. So if you were to have Tylenol that was beyond the expiration date in the U.S. and it's just a couple of years, well, it would still be good by European standards. Uh, but over time, it's going to slowly start to reduce. So maybe you're only getting 475 milligrams of Tylenol. It's still going to work. But you do bring up a good point, Dave. When we're talking about injectables, you do have to think about, you know, the the, the sterility of it. And if we're talking about water-based injectables... I was just about to say, yeah. Yeah, Vic, uh, um Victoria, I wasn't going to mention names, but then I was like, Vic, Victoria uh, had somebody um, who took some L-carnitine in their glute, and I guess that it turned red and swole. And she said, hey, I used the same vial like a year ago, and it was fine. Why do you think I'm getting this redness now? And it's like, you know, well, that's, yeah, that's a water that's, base. That's, that's another very valuable point as well whether the vial has been used or whether it remains sealed. True. Because when you, you use the vial, you run the risk of introducing bacteria into the vial. And and though the benzoyl alcohol in a 10 mil will generally nullify any bacteria that's introduced to the vial, if that sat in there for several years, that alcohol is not going to be as effective at what it's supposed to do. And then you run the risk of potential infection coming from there as well so yeah and and water-based products are going to be a lot more of a better uh, they're, they're going to be a better environment for bacteria to grow versus uh bacteria has a hard time growing in oil so you would be yeah. safer but is it worth it if you can get more and i'd say just well get more i was gonna say stop being a cheap ass and just buy another vial <laughs> fair enough all right um Okay, this relates to last episode. Riza, he says, um, I think talking about where in each muscle, uh, each of the muscles to inject is best. I want to spread out my sights uh, more, but don't know how I do triceps, calves, chest, etc. Now, I wanted to bring this question up personally because I, I thought it, of a response I wanted to give him is, it, or actually a question I wanted to ask you, Dave, is priority of injection sites like if you're doing a couple shots a week then i don't really think you need to go to weird places like the triceps or calves especially if you don't have dave crossland size arms where would be the first site i want to go in order here if you're going to do one shot dave uh so where would that first site be yeah but there's another factor here that you're not putting and that's site sensitivity so for example I've never got on with glute shots, but glutes would be your first port of call for, uh, for sighting. Okay. But every time I do a glute shot, I get a lump. Okay. Every fucking time. 
So, and yet I can't cope with quad shots unless it's something mild like Decker. I can't put tests in my quads, not at all. Um, so I generally did favour delts and arms because they tolerated the drugs really, really well. But I would say glute, quad, delt, arm, and then you'd probably look at more exotic sighting areas. I'd go with that. And he says, where in the muscle? Deep in the belly. Like, you don't want to go towards the edge, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I suppose in a way, if you've got a tattoo or you've got markings, it actually helps. So for a bicep shot, I used to always go pretty much on that point of that spike there. For your SEO? Yeah, for my simple. And then obviously I'd relax the arm and then go in tricep. I'd go in underneath there. Or I'd go in from the top at the back here. Medial delts, medial delt, and then you just stick it in the fucking middle of it. Calves. Calves is a good one. Don't See, do a lot calves. of people, when they try and inject calves, Don't do they go in from the back straight into the muscle. Okay. And if you inject into the underlying muscle, you're going to be in a world of pain. So because my calf had a good inch, inch and a half thickness, I would go from the side in. Guys, don't don't do calves. Don't listen to Dave. I'm just gonna throw that out there. You're gonna thank me. Uh, you won't know that you saved yourself a lot of pain. But I'm gonna say don't 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 do calves. That's, that's my traps and forearms. Traps and forearms. Oof. <laughs> Effectively, the denser the muscle, the more painful it's gonna be. So calves, forearms, and traps are incredibly painful muscles to inject. Yeah. Um, man, there was a question here. Where was this one? Maybe it was the first one. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was okay. This is it. This is a long one, too. Um, yeah, we'll try to get through it. Actually, that's not the one I wanted to go with. We're gonna come back to that one. Maybe it was this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Brett, he says, Your channel came up in my recommended feed a couple weeks ago and I've been binge watching all your episodes to soak up uh, all the information possible. I've got a question for the next show. I've got a spine disease called ankylosing spondylitis. I'm not sure about the first word, but spondylitis is correct. Um, Which I, I got it right. I knew that word, as you can tell. Uh, which I've been on medication for five years now to slow down the pace of the disease. Um, I've been training since 12, but started competing as an amateur bodybuilder since 2019. I'm working to bring up my hamstrings for the next comp in October 2022. But many of my old favorite exercises, such as RDLs, just cause severe tightness and inflammation, which basically ruins the rest of my workout. What would you recommend for some effective hamstring exercises that don't involve lower lumbar load? You could argue that if you're doing an RDL right, you shouldn't have any lower lumbar load because all you're doing is holding your spine in a fixed position. It shouldn't be moving and therefore it shouldn't be loading. Hmm. So there is potential of looking at the form on the exercises you're doing just to ensure that you are loading correctly because if you're loading correctly, you'll load glute and hamstring. Having said that, it is difficult 
to hold that position on those movements, definitely to start with. Um, so I, I've always been a big fan of line leg, leg curls. Um, I built some fucking decent hamstrings with them. Uh, people seem to think they can't go heavy on that movement, where I would go within form, but I would go as heavy as the fuck you can. Yeah. Um, other way would probably be... Um, glue ham raises. Uh, would be another alternative. So you will need a certain level of hamstring strength to be able to perform them. Um, you could do, not maybe not quite as direct, but you can look at deep lunges or long reach lunges where your step is really far forward. Yeah. Um, high foot position leg press. Yes. Things like that are also going to bring the hamstrings in. Not as directly, but they are still going to work. Hey, they're working. Um, they're part of the leg. And if you're doing a compound yeah. movement, that would be... My thought. <clears throat> yeah. The, the higher you put, or the further you put your knee behind your toe, the more you're bringing your glutes and your hamstrings into the movement. The yeah. more further you put your knee over the toe, the more it becomes quad only dominant. Yeah. You know, I'll share this with him. So, uh, and obviously, my situation was totally different than his, but I used to get a lot of lower back issues and my lumbars would go into spasm and then it would take like yeah, two weeks, four weeks for it to feel better. Um, I discovered that you know, down the road, I, I recognized, I was like, you know what? My glutes are weaker. I need to, I need to, and I, I thought they're visually weaker that when I get shredded, obviously glutes are one of the last things that come in, but if I were to have more muscle there, they would show through faster. So I started doing direct glute work. And, uh, you know, interestingly, I kind of, I, here's what I thought. So I, I work with, uh, several number of bikini competitors. And at the time I had helped to, to turn two girls pro at about the same time within like a short period of time from each other. And they were huge into glute work and they both lived locally. Uh, well, one of them moved, but anyway, so I got with one of them, uh, a shout out to IPB pro Amy Landry. And I, I went to the gym with her and I was like, Hey, put me through your glute workout. Right. So I do this glute training with her and you know, we have fun with it. We shoot pictures, me doing bikini exercises, but in the end I picked up some good exercises. I worked them into my routine and within several months I was able to develop like basically like newbie gains basically, because it was training my glutes in a way they hadn't been trained before. As a side note, I discovered my low back pain stopped and my my low back issues were so much better. And, it, you know, what it comes down to, I realized, is just like any other thing that, that any muscle that's weaker, muscles around it are going to pick up the load. So because my glutes were weaker, my lumbar, my lumbars were taking a lot of the load. I don't know what his situation is specifically, but I bet that if his glutes were stronger, it would put less stress on the lower back and that he would be able to you know, basically work harder without without causing injury. Now that said, I had grown a hell of a set of hamstrings through using um, hamstring curls. And I'm talking about using like really strict control to learn how to contract those motherfuckers like they're never been contracted before. And I almost looked at it as a therapy to grow my hamstrings. Uh, I, I could, I, you know, I could find some picks, but I mean, I've done a, what I would call a, pr a proud set of hamstrings is what I have developed over the years. And it all came from a lot of hamstring curls. 
Um, so I would say really focus on your technique with the hamstring curl. Make sure you're contracting the hamstrings as hard as they can be. Hold your squeezes, slow controlled negatives, all of that. And then go into the compound movements like Dave was talking about because they're going to be pre-exhausted. You're going to feel a lot more out of a leg press after or lunge uh, in the ham after you've done really, really hard hamstring curls. Sorry for the long-winded thing, but I, I think this could help him. No, I, 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 and I can't agree more. A lot of lower back issues do come from either tight or weak glutes and hamstrings. Um, I've experienced it myself, so I know exactly where you're coming from there. Um, I mean, I stiff leg, proper stiff leg, it's not this bollocks you see online. Uh, and leg curls were, line leg curls were the foundation of my hamstring work. And maybe try, you know, what, what can you do? Can you do less weight? Limit the range of motion. That that first, as you're bending forward, your glutes are moving back. You're bending forward and the glutes are moving back. At a certain point, those glutes stop moving back. And the rest of what's happening is you're using your lumbars to bend down. If you can stop that range shorter, stop before it's all low back movement. Maybe you can handle lighter weight. And you could still possibly use that. Maybe you're not going to be able to do three plates, four plates. But maybe you could do something, you know? I've always, when I teach people to do stiff leg deadlift or even RDL, but stiff leg in particular, I get them at the top of the movement to lift the chest and cramp their lower back. Yeah. And then as they go down, they drive the glute backwards, they keep their chest lifted, and they keep that cramping in their lower back. If they lose that cramping, it means their lower, their lower back has flattened off. And as soon as that happens, they take load away from the hamstring. Mm. If you do a stiff leg correctly for most people they'll struggle to get the bar below the knees because they just do not have the hip flexibility to get down there but if you really if you're doing a stiff leg even if you do it in the, the what is now the modern way which is with a bent knee then um when you get to that bite point if you stop and then just arch your back and lift your chest as much as you can you'll feel it throw onto the hamstring massively and you'll realize how much load you're pulling away from it by not having that back contracted. Yeah. Um, the other thing is close your eyes. Don't work on where the bar is on that side of movement. Work on what you're feeling in the back of the leg. Because people tend to do these movements thinking they've got to get the bar at a certain depth. Uh, and then what they do is they yeah. load off the hamstring and break form in order to do that. Close your eyes and work off what you feel in the back of the hamstring. Laser is with us, our professional um, audience member. He says the Think Big cover-up is better than the animal brand being visible. I agree. Mm, I do. That's good. That's good. Check it out, guys. In stores now. What do we have here? We got this one done. We got this one done. We got, this is a really big one. We'll skip that for now. Important question. Um, is it normal for real Anivar at dosages of only 40 milligrams to cause weird muscle cramps at the temple and jaw when yawning and opening the mouth wide, or even when intensely thinking about something like you're upset or hyper-focused? Um, it's real Anivar. It's kind of brutal, but it is it something dose dependent or that goes away after getting used to the compound uh, almost seems counterproductive to performance. 
I haven't heard of that. Have you, Dave? No, I would have suspected that that's more to do with water, electrolyte, salt than it is. I mean, I suppose Anabar would have a, a, an impact there, but um, it's definitely not listed on the sides you expect from Anabar. Jaw. Jaw, jaw cramps. Jaw cramping. Yeah. Um, um, I would say you're right, man. I would I would try an electrolyte supplement. Even there's good ones out there. Um, Ultima, get that from Amazon. Um, there's I think a 90 serving container for about forty five dollars. I I didn't used to believe in electrolyte products. I was like, just eat more sea salt. You're good. But, you know, Victoria turned me on to this one, and it's a really awesome balance of electrolytes. Uh, we don't have a code for that or anything, but it, it's a product that I use and a product that I would suggest to people that we're having an imbalance, at least here in the U.S. I don't know if that's available in the U.K. So I take it you're trying to get some free shit off them then? No, they're a real big company. They don't know anything about our show. But I, it is, I do want to help our people, Dave. Like it's, we're doing this for the good of bodybuilding. For the good of Scott's back balance. <laughs> Go to Ultima. Tell them Scott McNally sent you. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Lake Fork Knight. Uh, Giants. What did I say? Knights? All of them. Uh, question. Which oral needs to be taken with fish oil tablets to get maximum benefit. I've heard Dave mention this about some orals. I'd like to know which. All of them. Anabolic-wise, all of them. Because they're, they're fat-soluble? Yep. All right. So all of them, I would go empty stomach with fish oil or healthy fat. So you could you could have them with a plate of salmon if you wanted or something like that. Yeah. The, the the basic deal is in case anyone hasn't heard this though we have touched on it quite a bit they're fat soluble they're absorbed by fat if they are absorbed by non-dietary fat i.e a mcdonald's then you're gonna pass some of that compound straight out if you take them with a fish oil or a healthy fat or like i say a, a, a food that's a healthy fat then they'll be absorbed into the fat because your body will absorb the fat you will absorb the compound okay how about this one? Uh, Neven uh, joins us. Neven is from Canada, actually. Shout out to everybody in Canada. It's a good place to be. I, I think he means Utka. I don't I don't know much about that. Uh, Tutka versus Utka. So is he saying T-U-D-C-A versus U-D-C-A? Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's the same fucking thing. The only difference is T-U-D-C-A has taurine added to it because in a lot of countries... UDCA is a controlled substance. Oh. By adding taurine, it is no longer controlled. No kidding. Throw a little taurine out. Can you do that with other drugs like meth? Co coke. <laughs> Cocaine with taurine. Yeah. Um, it's okay. There is, it's a supplement now, guys. Is, it's got taurine in it. There is. There is that was the, that's the main reason behind it. There is, um, there is rumors that the UK are considering looking at clamping down on TUDCA as well. But hmm. currently at the moment, they're not bothering with it. But that is the only difference. Taurine was added in the same way as pro-hormones were uh, um, circumvented steroid law because they're a precursor. TUDCA circulates the regulation of UDCA because it's got taurine. Therefore, it, it is a different compound. Hmm. Have you ever heard of a supplement called to crack? Totally illegal. 
crack. <laughs> also, to heroin. Brought to you by the people who made to heroin. <laughs> I do apologize for Scott. He doesn't get out much. <laughs> that is true. You're not, you're not wrong about that. He uh, lives in his basement, and that's as far as he generally goes. Victoria will let him into the living room for an hour <laughs> on an evening, and then beyond that, he gets sent back to the basement. That's pretty much it. Well, I don't sleep down here. I don't sleep in the studio. That's that's different. Okay, question. This is from Ghost Man. Ghost Man says, a question for Dave is being on SOMAC uh, for reflux going to affect my gains due to altered digestion or absorption? Every time I try other things and come off SOMAC, my reflux is so bad. I feel like my chest is on fire. Fuck, I know this feeling. I didn't know what SOMAC was. It's not a drug here. I looked it up, and so it's a proton pump inhibitor. Looks like you I guys say, use it, it over there. Is it a PPI? Yeah, um, it is. The problem with PPIs is that, in general, if you're a long-term user of PPI, it will start to affect nutrient absorption. Um. In fact, malnutrition is one of the side effects listed for a PPI uh, because it can start to affect your nutrient absorption. So it's a difficult balance if you can't get anything else as a substitute. Um, a lot of people swear by using fermented foods, so stuff like sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, um, and have found that they can come off PPIs completely if they have a regular intake of some form of fermented food. Okay. Um, it's worth a try. Worst case scenario is you have to go back on the PPI. Best case scenario is you won't need it anymore at all, but you might find you can get in a position where you can at least lower the dose. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yes, they can affect nutrient absorption, yes. I, they do. They can. Uh, plus a bunch of other stuff. I don't know about this one in particular, but there's some nasty stuff related to these drugs. I, I would say, you know what, too, even supplementation, like digestive enzymes, probiotics, start researching probiotics because they aren't all the same across the board. Um, but there are some things that could possibly help you. And like Dave said, even even if you could take less, you know, that would be a, a good start. I, I work with a guy who was taking um, 40 milligrams of uh, a PPI, uh, the Top end dose was twenty, and we try. We've been trying to get him off it. He he went to twenty, uh, and then he went to twenty every other day. Started getting acid again, so we're back to twenty. But we're we're trying to beef up his his digestion quality, and hopefully we can work him off. You get addicted to those things, like your your stomach becomes dependent on that stuff, and then once you're once you're on it, man, it's it's it's, it's tough to get off. And things like omeprazole, or which is the one he's using, is. It's not a good drug to be on, you know. The from a from a enzyme point of view, I'd look at VSL three. Yeah, that's good shit. Yeah, it's expensive, but it's good shit. Yeah. What is it? VSL three. So it's actually so our pancreas um, develops or produces our digestive enzymes. Right. Um, and when. Uh, people have pancreatitis, VSL-3 is actually prescribed to them to substitute their enzyme production because the pancreas isn't making enough. Hmm. 
but it is an over-the-counter. You can buy it online. They do like a subscription service where you'll get a supply every month and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's not cheap, but it is really good stuff. Lucas from uh, Poland. He says kombucha works well. I went into a deep dive on kombucha, and I will warn everybody, not all kombucha is created equal, and some of the big brands are pasteurizing their kombucha. And when they pasteurize it, they kill the, they kill the active cultures in it. So make sure that if you are using a kombucha, that you do obviously make your own is going to work, but you could also, you need to do research. Uh, you can't just go to the grocery store and buy the first thing you see off the shelf because some of those things are uh, are basically destroyed. And then they also add carbonation to some of them to give you that pop that you that we all enjoy, that it, the people who like kombucha. So careful with that one. I don't even know what it is. It is a, it's a fermented drink. It's a fermented beverage. Oh. It's good. It's real good. Um, man, there's another long question. I'm looking for, oh, wait, here it is. Here's a good one. Growth hormone. Oh, for uh, fuck's sake. I have a question. Is there a no. minimum, minimum length of time that GH should be used to get all the benefits? The generic GH I have access to makes me hold a lot of water, and I would like to come off of it for summer. I appreciate the show. So I messaged him back and I said, cool, what kind of dosing are you using, uh, getting this water retention, um, and what kind of diet are you on, like a cut, a bulk, how clean is it? Whoops. And he says, um, I've been taking three units a day. I started taking it at a, a really lean state, uh, contest ready, and on a very restricted diet. And it immediately blew me up, both fullness, but also made me look like 12%. Uh, body fat when I was probably around five or six currently. I'm fluffy in the off season, enjoying the extras so the water retention doesn't bother me. I've been on GH for 16 weeks. Well, I think his period of time is long enough. Um, I mean, you're going to get benefit from it at any point, but obviously those benefits seem to compound at a few months in. Um I could try manipulating the dose, could try going on an EOD protocol, things like that to lower the water retention element of it. Uh, it's going to punish him if he's getting water retention anyway, and then he's being flexible with his diet. It will punish him for it quite harshly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for four months is, is – I wouldn't say four months was too short a period at all. I think four months, 16 weeks is, is fine. Yeah. I, I've had um... – a couple people, one female and one male, recently that would bloat on growth hormone. And what we ended up doing, both of them during their contest season, we pulled it all out. We made sure that it was out for like, you know, a month. And then from there, we were like, okay, let's start a half a unit a day and let's see what we get out of it. You know, a lot of times we talk about growth hormone being good for fullness during your contest season. Well, you know, whatever it takes to get to that fullness. Like we always think like you sh you need to take at least two, three units, right? Well, if your goal is to get fullness from it and you can get that fullness off of 0.75 unit, one, you know, three quarters of a unit, then take three. And that's what we've done is that we were able to kind of get the use we wanted out of it 
but at a much lower dose than you would expect. Are they getting like any type of other benefits? How much is the fat loss from out? Uh, probably it's going to be marginal, but we are able to get fullness with it still in the contest season. So maybe my only thought is think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Are you going to show us your watch, by the way, that Rolex you got, Dave, from the convention? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't buy a watch. I thought you got a new, new two, two Rolexes while you're at the convention. No. I don't have Rolex money, Scott. I'm not like you. <laughs> All right. Listen, we, we had a couple more questions here, but you were, Dave and I are getting old, guys. And whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean getting? I already am old. We need to rest. We're not going to be with you forever, okay? Uh, I... I will be happy if I get another five years. And that is a genuinely serious comment. Yeah. I hope you get a lot more than that, Dave. I do. Hope you get another six. I'll be surprised I'll be surprised if I do. But yeah. if I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. No, I genuinely will. I don't I'm I'm not expecting to go much past fifty five. If I make it to sixty, that'll be brilliant. You know, I uh you know, Dave and I were talking before the show. I haven't said anything on the podcast yet, but I uh, had like a little scare, I guess you could say. Uh, they took me to the hospital. Uh, you know, all this COVID stuff. I've been dealing with lung issues. Turns out maybe my heart, not not the lungs. But I'll tell you what, Dave, I, I recognize. And we got to do a lot more testing. I don't know anything yet, guys. But uh, it looks like COVID could have done something to my heart. Regardless, you know, I thought about it, man. And I, I told Victoria the other night that, I I don't obviously want to die, right? I want to live as long as I possibly can. We all do, you know. We a, a good quality life as long as I can. Uh, that said, if it were to have to end this week, I can say that I'm happy with my life. Like, you know, I think I think sometimes for some people it's like a wake up call where they're like, oh man, I got to do all this shit that I wasn't doing before. And goddamn, man, I'm pretty happy with my life. Like I, hanging out with you, recording the show, helping people, you know, reach their goals, which is bigger than just getting in shape. It's you know helping people live their lives in a way that they want to live them and and be happy. Uh, we're you know I, I married a beautiful woman that I, I you know I'm, I'm like I couldn't have done better. So it's like you know what, man, it's gotta we all gotta die sometime, right? And if it had to end. This week, I don't know if I would have done anything different. I don't think I would have. No, I feel you there, mate. People, I think people struggle with this concept of death and, and this concept of accepting your death. But <clears throat> if I drop dead in the next five minutes, I, I drop dead with no regrets, no unfinished business. I'm, I'm content with where I am. I'm content with who I am. Um. I'm not perfect, far from it. I've got a list probably longer than most of faults. Um, you? The only, yes, me. The only, the only negative I see to my early demise is the impact on the people around me. But I don't, I don't in any way feel I've got unfinished business or, or you know, if it, if it happens, it happens. But at the same time, I'm not wishing it. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I mean, my my situation is completely self-manufactured. You know, it, it's, I've done this to myself. Yours is more unfortunate circumstances because, you know, you've got to 
you got a golden. It, it, it you know, but regardless, it doesn't matter how it happened, and it doesn't matter how we go. We all will go. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's big shit to wrap your head around. That's for sure. You know, but actually, there is there is something I would like to say publicly on air. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna thank me for like uh, your my friendship Fuck over off, the years you and. Prick. I might <laughs> I mean, if you want to, it's okay. We can make it a video of its own if you wanted to thank me for my friendship and camaraderie over the years. You owe me, bitch. Don't even <laughs> fucking go there. What? What? what up with you? To, uh, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, I, I humbly request, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, do not fucking lie about me once I'm gone. You telling this to I me? Do, I'm telling this to everybody. I do not. I lie about you hear, all the time. I do not want to hear this. Oh, it's a shame. Oh, you know. It, it, fuck, I took the fucking piss with my health, and if I drop dead tomorrow, I deserve that for what I did. You know, I don't want all this, oh, bollocks. Fuck off. <laughs> if you think I'm a prick, I'm still a prick. Just because I'm dead, it hasn't changed that. If you think I'm a nice guy, great. If you think I'm a wanker, please don't say you don't. I'm quite happy for you to still think I'm a wanker. My death hasn't changed that. I cannot stand this. Oh, you know, well, he was a real nice guy, really. No, he wasn't. He was a fucking arsehole. He was an arsehole in life, and he's still an arsehole in death. Just be true to yourself, please. I I would turn in my... In fact, I will come and fucking haunt you (laughs) if you start making up nice, stupid stories that aren't true about me. On that note, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. Check out truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Uh, go to supplementsource.ca if you're in Canada. And while Dave is around, you can get some lab work done by him at evalbloodanalysis.com. Dave Crossland, we'll see you soon. <laughs>